Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good today? It's good seeing you guys. If you are here for the very first time, uh, my name is Mark, and I am the lead pastor. And uh, we're excited to have you guys here. If you're brand new, we have a free gift for you here today. And uh, all you need to do is at the end of service, uh, after our sermon, we always receive our offering, and we give everybody a chance to fill out what we call a connection card. That card is either on the back of the seat in front of you or on your seat. And uh, we, we just encourage everybody to fill those out. You can let us know how God's at work in your life, decisions that you made, prayer requests that you have. But if you are here for the very first time, you can let us know on that card that you're here. Take that card to the welcome area out there in the middle of the lobby. And we will uh, just exchange that gift for the card. We're just so excited to have you guys here today. And hey, before I pray, we jump into a couple of things. I want to uh, mention uh, one thing to you that I will, just like I did last week. All right, we're going to do this for the next couple of weeks. Summer is wrapping up. Can you believe that summer's almost over? We're just a couple of weeks from school kicking back in. And so what happens a lot of times is uh, as we get closer to school, um, like this weekend and then next weekend, a lot of people try to just milk everything they can out of the summer. You know, people are running out of town doing just as whatever they can until school starts. All right. So we did this last week. We're going to do it today. We'll do it again next week just so we give everybody an opportunity. In October, October the 18th and the 19th, we are having an event called Judgment House. And we are really uh, praying for this event. We talked about it a little bit last week. It's a walkthrough experience. And um, it's just going to give people an opportunity to walk through um, just a, uh, someone's life, a group of teenagers, their life, see decisions that they made, ultimately leads them into eternity. Just uh, We're praying for a powerful uh, evangelistic weekend that we need the entire church to be a part of. So it's an all-hands-on-deck weekend, October the 18th and the 19th. Um, so I just wanted to mention that quickly. Because if you are interested in that, right after church, I will be at the welcome area like we are every single week. If you want to help out with Judgment House, all we need right now is your name to say, hey, I'd be interested in helping make that event happen. So just stop by the welcome area after church. Give us your name. That's all you need to do. We'll put it down. We'll be in contact with you. All right? Hey, I'm going to pray. I know John just did, but you can't pray enough in church. And so I'm going to pray. And uh, let's ask God to, uh, to speak to us. Let's invite the Spirit to come and to move today. So let's pray today. Father, I, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would move by your Spirit, God, in a powerful way and in a real way. God, in a way that, that Jesus, when we leave in just a few moments, we are deeply transformed. God, that you would start something in our lives here over the next few moments. I, I believe, God, You've already started something, Father. You are, you are at work in the room right now. And so, God, would you just continue to, to do your work? God, would you wake up something deep inside of us? God, would you plant seeds in our hearts? And, and God, start something today that no one can take away and nothing can put out. God, I pray that you'd move in us in a deep way. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our minds to, to see you. God, you have a word for us today. And so God, help us to hear from you. We love you. Thank you for bringing us here today and for this opportunity. God, we ask us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So we are in a series that we are calling Blueprint. And what we're doing in this series, what we've seen in this series is we've seen transformed people transforming the world. We're in the book of Acts in this series. We're just looking at four big themes uh, in the book of Acts. And, and we're not seeing perfect people. There are no perfect people, so just take that off the table. But we are seeing transformed people. 
People that have met Jesus, the Spirit has come. We've seen that in this series. And the Spirit has transformed these people's lives. He is transforming their lives. And so these are transformed people that are transforming the world. And so Siri is talking to me right now. And so uh, these are transformed people who are transforming the world. And, And what's happened is the Holy Spirit has done it. So this goes back to the very first week in our series. We talked about spirit power. Remember that? We said that God never intended for you and I to live on our own power, our own abilities. God wanted us to live in the strength of another, and that other is the person of the Holy Spirit. And we saw last week that the way that we do that, the way that we walk in spirit power is through what we call spiritual rhythms. We talked about it last week. Go back and listen to it on the website or the app if you missed it. We talked about silence and solitude. We talked about Sabbath. We've talked about prayer and listening to Scripture and and, and all of those things. And, And so today is another one of God's original designs. That if you and I, if we really want to be the church that God calls us to be, and again, when we say church, we don't mean something separate from us, something we've come to just on Sundays. We are the church, so these are things that God wants for us. If we want to be the people that God wants us to be, the church that God wants us to be, we need spirit power, we need spiritual rhythms. And today we're going to talk about what might be the most controversial aspect that we're going to talk about the entire series. Because it's this idea that God hasn't made us to do life on our own. God has made us to live in community. And you might hear that and you think, well, what in the world's controversial about that? Well, what's controversial about that is that the world that we live in, instead of going to community, the world that we live in seems to be more and more drawn into isolation. More and more just drawn into isolation, away from each other. And here's what's funny about that. What's funny is that we're supposed to have all of these tools and all of these ways to help us to connect at levels we've never been able to connect before, aren't we? Right, our phones, we've got social media, we've got all of these things that are supposed to help us to connect, that are supposed to help us to interact with each other in ways we've never been able to do before. And yet study after study shows that people are saying they've never felt lonelier than they feel right now, never felt, never felt more depressed than they do right now, more isolated than they do right now. And, and we look at that with everything available to us and we wonder why. But it's not really that hard to figure out. Have you ever been at a restaurant or you've been out and you see a group of people that are at a table and they're all there together and none of them are looking at each other and talking because they're all like this on their phone? You ever seen that? Right, you've seen that. And listen, not only have I seen that, I've been a part of that, right? Have you ever texted somebody that is literally sitting next to you? Have you ever done that? I have done that. I have had a conversation through Facebook Messenger with people that are in the room on my couch at my house. You know what I mean? What is wrong with us? Instead of looking at them and having a conversation, now I just send you a text message and we talk that way. And people are more isolated and more withdrawn than we've ever been. I read a study just a couple of weeks ago that says the average adult on a daily basis consumes 11 hours of media. Think about that. That's every kind of media. That's television, movies, social media. That's radio. That's any kind of media at all. Think about that. The average adult consumes up to 11 hours a day of media. And and the reality is what we're going to see today is that instead of isolation, God has made us for community. 
and you just can't escape it. Go and you listen to any song that you, any song that's your favorite song. Go to any, listen to any radio station. Go stream music wherever you're going to stream it from. I don't know where you're, what you're going to use. Go listen to any song, and it's not going to take you long or hard to find a song that's about relationship, is it? Right? Almost every song is about some kind of relationship, a, a, a man to a woman, a woman to a man. Somebody is talking to somebody about love, relationships. It, it, it's this idea of wanting to know someone and wanting to be known. And we can talk about where that comes from, but I'm convinced that comes from God. I'm convinced that God has hardwired every one of us for community because God himself lives in community. The Bible says that God is what we call the Trinity. You can't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but the Bible clearly teaches that idea that, that there is one God who exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And before there was even any creation at all, before Genesis 1, God the Father, Son, and Spirit lived in perfect fellowship, perfect relationship. There was perfect love and unity within the members of the Trinity. So, so when God made man, God didn't do it because he needed some friends. Hello? God, God wasn't lonely, so he made people. But when God did make people, when God did create Adam, Genesis 2, God looks at Adam alone by himself, and he says what? He says, it's not good that this man is alone. Why isn't it good that this man is alone? Because a dude all by himself, eventually something's going to blow up or get, you know, it's not going to go well, right? And here's the thing, here's the thing. A lot of people just think, oh, well, when God told Adam that it's not good for you to be alone, he's talking about marriage. Yes, but no. He's talking about marriage, but that's not the only thing he's talking about. God is talking about this idea of community. So God didn't just create Adam. God created Adam and Eve. You fast forward a few chapters to Genesis chapter 12, and God comes to a man named Abram, later on Abraham, and he says, Abram, through your descendants are going to be as many descendants as the sand on the seashore, stars in the sky. What's God talking about? God's talking about community. Right after Abraham, those descendants that Abraham has, they're going to be the nation of Israel. Every single person that God works through in the Old Testament, yeah, God worked through that individual. God had a special relationship with people like Abraham, Moses, David. But listen to me, God never worked through anyone in the Old Testament or the New Testament for that matter. God never worked through anyone in the Old or New Testament just by themselves in isolation from the community of faith. Everything God did for Abraham, through Abraham, through Moses, through David, it was for the nation of Israel. Jesus comes, and what's the first thing Jesus does when he starts his earthly ministry? He puts together the 12 disciples. I mean, if there was anybody that could have done it on his own, it's Jesus Christ, right? And what's the first thing that he does? Jesus makes community. After Jesus ascends to heaven, what does the Holy Spirit come and do? We've seen it in the series. The Holy Spirit comes and creates the church. The Spirit creates the church. The book of Revelation says when Jesus is coming back, he's coming back for the church. Revelation 21, 22 says in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth, it's not one person with Jesus. It's Jesus' bride, the church, with, his, with her husband, the one who died and bought her, Jesus. The entire Bible is about community. The entire Bible is about God's people in relationship with God, God coming to rescue his people. It's not one person and Jesus. It's one person connected to a community with the Jesus who died to save that community. The whole Bible's about community. 
So when you zero in on the book of Acts, you see that very idea. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it up. We're going to look at two passages, okay? The first one is one we read last week in Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to go a page forward. We're going to read a passage out of Acts chapter 4. So open your Bibles, turn them on on your phones. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, all right? Acts 2. 42 through 47. We read this last week, but this is such an important passage of Scripture in the Bible uh, that we're going to read it again. So Acts 2, 42 through 47. Watch this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now take your Bible, turn a page or scroll over to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Acts chapter 4, 32 through 35. Look at, these, look at these verses. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. These are two of the most important uh, passages in the Bible if you want to understand what the early church did. You know, sometimes people ask, I remember, um, you know, early on, you know, in seminary or, or other people from time to time will ask me, Mark, I know what we do when we have church, but what did the church do in Acts when they had church? What, what was a week like for the church in the book of Acts, the only two places in the Bible that seem to come close to answering that are the two passages that we just read, Acts 2 and Acts 4. So, so what was a week like in the life of the early church? What was a service like? What was a day like for the life of the early church? Even these two passages don't give us a conclusive answer, but the closest you can get is Acts 2 and Acts 4. And here's what I want you to see, especially in Acts chapter 2. Over 3,000 people give their life to Jesus, and what's the very first thing the Holy Spirit leads them to do once He comes and lives inside of these men and women? The very first thing He leads them to do, verse 42, they come together and they become the church. They don't go off on their own and read their Bibles. Hello? And listen, going off on your own, having personal time with the Lord, important, vital, you've got to do it. But they don't isolate, they come together, and they become the church. Think about it this way, think about it this way. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you absolutely have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have a personal relationship with Jesus. But that personal relationship was never meant to, be, was never meant to happen in isolation from the community of faith. So you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but that personal relationship was never meant to operate or work or take place outside of the community of faith, i.e. the church. So we give our lives to Jesus. We said this before. We give our lives to Jesus. We become a part of the, the universal church, the invisible church, Christians, past, present, and future. But the way that plays out is that you and I practically, we, we become a part 
of a local, imperfect, messy, Jesus-loving church. So it's not us on our own. It's us coming together to follow Jesus together. The church is supposed to be a life-giving community. But let's be honest. It's easy to find stories where the church gives anything but life. Amen? It's really easy to find stories where instead of the church giving life and hope, where instead of the church looking like Jesus, the church looks a lot like the world. It's too easy to find stories where the church has brought hurt, where the church brings brokenness. But I am telling you today, the church was always intended to be a life giving community. And as messy as the church might be, as broken as the church might be, I still believe today it is possible for the church to be the church that Jesus bought her to be. Amen? I, I believe that it's possible, but how? How is it possible? How can we be that church? How can the church in Eastern Kentucky, right here in Hazard, how can this church, how can all the churches together, how can we be the church Jesus died for us to be? I think three things have got to happen. If you're taking notes, write these down. We see them right here in these two passages in the book of Acts. If we're going to be a life-giving community, first thing we've got to have is we have to know who we are. We have to know who we are if we're going to be a life-giving community. All right? See, two th one, thing one thing happens in both of these passages that's the exact same. In Acts 2 and Acts 4, you see that the, the, that the Christians come together, the churches come together. In verse 45 of Acts chapter 2, it says, They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Acts chapter 4, same thing happens. Somebody had a need in the church, people in the church would step up, sell land, sell houses, sell some of their things that they had, give all of that money to the apostles, and the apostles would then take that money and meet that need within that church. This happened all the time. People would sell their belongings, give land away, do whatever it took to make sure that they took care of people in the church. And from time to time, people come in the last mark. Do we need to do that? Do I need to sell my house and, and, and give all the money to somebody in need? Do I need to not, not own a single thing and just give all my resources to somebody in need? Here's the answer. The answer, the answer is yes and no. So no, you don't have to. There's no place in the Bible that tells you to go home today, take your TV wherever it is, and just give it away to somebody that doesn't have one. All right. So the Bible doesn't specifically say that. But here's what the Bible does say. The Bible does say that you and I are to take care of people who have needs within the church. See, here's the thing. There was nowhere in the Bible, the apostles never told the church you had to do this. Did you know that? There's nowhere in the Bible, the apostles never gave a sermon that said, listen, if you own land, sell it and give us the money so we can help these people in need. They never told them to do that. Instead, selling their possessions and the way they're taking care of each other, listen to me, it flowed out of their love for God and love for each other. So when they had a need, they were so in love with God and so in love with the people in the church. They said, listen, if you have a need, we need to help you with that need because watch this, we're family. We are the family of God. See, when you know who you are, it changes how you live. Do you know that? When you know who you are, it changes how you live. And when Jesus saved you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, Jesus didn't just save you so you can wait and go to heaven. Jesus, when he saved you, gave you a brand new identity. Do you know who you are in Christ? Has anybody ever asked you that? Have you ever thought about that? Do you know who you are 
in Christ. Because listen to me, Christian, you have a God-given identity that no one can take from you. Did you know that? Listen, as a follower of Jesus, your identity in Christ, your identity isn't determined by what, how you look. Your identity isn't determined by the clothes that you wear, the car that you drive, the house you live in. Your identity isn't determined whether you're a Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. Your identity is determined by your Savior. You are who God says you are. And so what God says about all of those who are followers of Jesus is first and foremost, we are his sons and we are his daughters. We are the children of the one true living God. Amen? We're the children of God, first and foremost. Listen, whether you feel that or not this morning, doesn't change the reality of who Jesus says you are. In Christ, you're his son. In Christ, you're his daughter. And no one can take that away from you. We are the children of God. And so what that means is, that we're family. We're the family of God. So what that means is that, that the people in this room who are followers of Jesus are your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about people at a church you ain't at this morning. I'm talking about the people that are right here in the room. I'm talking about people that go to this church. I'm talking about the people that go to the 1115 and you pick the 930 because you know they go to the other one. Hello? I'm talking about people who are, your, who are followers of Jesus. Listen, in Christ, they are your family. We are brothers and sisters for eternity. Let me ask you this. I was thinking about this. Does anybody have brothers and sisters, like physical brothers and sisters? Anybody raise your hand? A lot, of, a lot of hands are going up. I'm an only child. And when I guess, I don't know what happened. I guess when my mom and dad had me, they said, listen, we can't top this. We're done. You know, just drop the mic and walk away. I don't know. And, or maybe it was just that the therapy from having somebody like me was too expensive and they just couldn't. I don't know what it was, but I'm an, I'm an only child. But I do remember that there was a time I was pretty young. I, I wanted a brother and sister. I wanted one. I wanted a brother and sister. I had a real good friend. He had a sister. And uh, I said, man, what's that like to have a sister? Because I know. I, I wanted one. And he told me uh, that when he and his sister argue, she goes to the kitchen and grabs a butcher knife and chases him around the house. He runs to his room, shuts the door. She takes that knife, runs it underneath the door. And I said, I'm, I feel like I got a good thing going in my house. I, I think I'm all right. I don't, I don't really need one of those, you know. I don't really want one of those. Here's the thing. In Christ, you have millions of them. Messy, imperfect. You know, Mark, are you saying that the crazy one is, you know, in the family of God? I'm saying the crazy one. Yeah, that, that's right. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And see, to know who we are, see, when I know that, when I know that, listen, we don't just go to church together. You're my brother. And you're my sister. That changes the way that I think about you. It changes the way that I talk about you. It should change the way that we treat one another. Why? Because we are family. See, practically, just on a real practical level, this is why we call membership in our church partnership. Not, not just simply membership, nothing really wrong with that word, but what we're trying to do is we want to drive down to, into our church that this idea that to be a part of this church, we're partnering together. It's not just your name on a sheet of paper or a database. We need to partner together. Why? Because we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why in our church we have something called the Dollar Club. 
And, and what that simply means is that a lot of people every week, they give literally a dollar or several more uh, dollars every week. But every week, a portion of our offering goes to meeting practical needs of people right here in our church and in our community. We pay electric bills, heating bills, and uh, we, pay, we buy food for people just to meet practical needs. Why do we do that? Because we're family. Amen? Right? When you serve, I don't know if you ever thought about this. When you, when you serve here, you're serving family. Right? Every single person that serves in Summit Kids, every person that serves in guest services, the worship team up here every week, people right now, right, there, right back there in the sound booth working production, soundboard, projectors, screens, and all of those things, working the coffee area, parking lot team, all of those things. Listen, every time you serve, you are putting others before yourself. Oh, wouldn't it be easier just to go today instead of serving? Yeah, it probably would. But can I tell you this? We are never more like Jesus than when we serve. And, and something happens inside of me when I do it, whether I realize it or not. When I put others before myself in Jesus' name, something is happening under the surface. I don't feel it. It doesn't matter. The Spirit work, a lot of times works so underneath the radar that He is transforming you, planning things in your life. You're not even aware of it. And so, man, when we serve one another, we are serving family. Say, Mark, how can I get more involved, plugged in here? One step is to just to simply serve. We were talking about a need in preschool this morning, helping Summit kids in preschool. There's all kinds of different places where you can jump in to serve. And when you do that, you are serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because just practically, 1 John says, listen, if we can't love our brothers and sisters who we have seen, how will we love God who we've never seen? Right? Man, I don't like anybody in any church. They all get on my nerves. Well, how do you know you're going to like God when you see him? We got to know who we are. Who are we? We are the family of God. But secondly, we got to know why we're here. Know who we are, identity, know why we're here. Look at chapter 2, verse 47, if you've got that still open. Chapter 2, verse 47. So after the Spirit brings them together, they build this beautiful, imperfect community. Verse 47, they were praising God and having favor, watch this, with all the people. That would be all the people outside, not the people inside the church. All the people outside of Jerusalem. They had favor with all of the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Spirit brings them. They make this community. They had favor with all of the community because the way they loved, the way they served. And Jesus was saving people every single day. Man, I love that because this church in the book of Acts, it was never us four and no more. You know what I'm saying? Right? It was never, oh, just the people who were here. Let's not worry about the people outside of the walls. Let's not worry about the people who don't go to this church. On every single page, if you're taking notes, on every single page of the book of Acts, in every chapter of the book of Acts, there is evangelism. Somebody gets saved in every single chapter of the book of Acts. There's evangelism in every single chapter of the book of Acts. And so what happened was there was unity in this church. Again, this church wasn't perfect at all. They had fights. There was arguments. Sometimes it got heated, all right? But there was forgiveness a lot of times, reconciliation. They tried to work it out. But one of the things that brought unity into this church is they knew why they were there. They had a mission. There's unity around the why. And the why was Jesus in Acts 1-8, when the Spirit comes, you'll be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Their mission was to make disciples, there's unity around the one mission of the church. Listen, the church has one mission. Amen? And that mission is to make 
disciples, that followers of Jesus want to make other followers of Jesus. We just have one thing to do. And listen, there's a lot of beauty in that. It's, there's a lot of simplicity in that. There, there's a lot of unity that can be found in just having one thing to do. Think about Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right? Let's think about Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mainly, you're going to go to what? You're going to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to get what? Chicken. Hey, let's go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to get a cheeseburger. No. Let's go to, Kentucky, let's go to KFC to get a pizza. No. You ain't gonna, we go to KFC? You can, get some, you can get some sides. You can get some mashed potatoes. You know, you can get some green beans. But mainly, they do one thing at KFC. They make what? They, they make chicken. They sell what? Chicken. Now, listen. They might do all kinds of different things to that chicken. Right? You can get a sandwich with Cheetos and chicken. Right? And I don't know if that's of God, but you can do it. All right? But you can get it. But they sell chicken. They are doing one thing. Listen. The church has one mission. To make disciples who make disciples. Things get real complicated and real messy when the church tries to adopt all kinds of other missions, like making everybody happy. Listen, the mission of the church isn't to make everybody happy. Hello? It's not to make everybody happy, not to, not to entertain everybody. And yeah, we hope that everybody comes. They're not bored. They, they're blessed. They have a good time. But the mission of the church isn't to make people happy. But sometimes the church makes that the mission, don't they? Well, we got to make so-and-so happy. They tithe all the money. Hello. Well, we got to make so-and-so happy because if they ain't happy, they're going to tell everybody else they ain't happy. They'll put it all over Facebook. Oh, my gosh. Right? We got to keep them happy. Here's the problem with trying to keep, keep people happy. Somebody's happy ain't somebody else's happy. Hello? What makes you happy might make the other person over here miserable. So if I'm going to try to keep everybody happy, listen, people have said it before. If we want to make everybody happy, let's just stop doing church. Let's sell ice cream. Right? But the mission of the church isn't to make everybody happy. The mission of the church is to make disciples. we got to know why we're here. See, you can't separate the mission from the church. You can't separate the mission of the church from the church. The church has a mission. And, and, and I'm going to say something that's probably possibly very controversial. Might make some people upset or, or a little uncomfortable, but I just feel like we have to say it. Today, so you can't separate the mission from the church. So what that means is, when you go to Walmart, and you see another Christian in the frozen food aisle, you didn't just start a church right there in the frozen food section of Walmart. I have people say to me all the time, Mark, I don't need to go to church because I see Christians all the time, and where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in our presence. Hello. <laughs> and then I say things to myself that I ask to ask Jesus to forgive me for, and it just gets messy, and... Listen, listen, two Christians together when you see each other at Walmart from this church, from other churches, you can have fellowship. But unless you're going to start something right there in Walmart that makes disciples, you don't have a church. Why? Because the church has a mission. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I have church on the lake. No, you don't. No, you don't. You have time with God on the lake, and you can have time with God on the lake. You can have time with God on the golf course. You, you can have time with God at your house. You need to have time with God on your own. We talk about it all the time. Owning your faith, being a self-feeder spiritually. You need to do that. But unless you planted something on the lake that makes disciples who make disciples, you don't have a church. You can read your Bible. You can worship. You can pray. But listen, you cannot separate the church from the mission because the church is God's mission. Does this make sense? 
The church, somebody said this, I have no idea who. The church is, is, is plan A. There is no plan B. You cannot separate the church from the mission. We have to know why we're here. We're here to get the message of Jesus out. To, to love one another, to so serve and love one another in this community that they would see it and be drawn to God. So, so we have a mission. we got to know who we are. We've got to know why we're here. But here's the last thing. Is we have to know how to do this. We have to know how to do this. Because a lot of times, again, if we're being honest, we can look at the church and, and we don't see the church serving the way that we see it maybe in the book of Acts. We don't see this kind of unity maybe that we see in the book of Acts. I'll be honest just as a pastor. I'll just be honest, man, and just lay my cards on the table. There are a lot of times that I see the way that Christians talk about each other online, talk to each other, the way that we treat each other, the way that we so easily just write each other off assume the worst or the way that churches compete against other churches and there are a lot of times when I just go to God and I say God does this thing still work are you still in it does this still work and here's what I need you to know today here's what I need us to know as a church I need us to know that summit on our own we cannot do this we can't do this on our own love each other this way serve each other this way take the mission of the gospel, take the message of Jesus to the world on our own. We can't do it, so we got to know how to do this. And in each of these passages, something happens that we didn't mention. I didn't mention it on purpose. Now let's bring it in. Right in front of chapter 2, verse 42. Right in front of chapter 2, verse 42. When we see them devote themselves to one another, the apostles' teaching, and all of that. The thing that happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 right here on the screen. Peter said to them, repent and, believe, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Watch this. You will receive the gift of the who? The Holy Spirit. These people give their lives to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of every single one of these people. These are now spirit people. These aren't people trying to do this on their own. The Spirit of God is at work. Now, Acts chapter 4, right in front of verse 32 is Acts chapter 4 verse 31. And it says this, when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. Watch, they were all filled with who? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So what happens there? The way that these people love one another, the reason that they serve one another, isn't because, oh, well, these are good people. Isn't because, oh, man, these people have a lot of self-discipline and self-control. No, it was that the Spirit of God so filled them and so gave them a supernatural love that they were willing to sell their property to meet their brother's needs. They were willing to sacrifice for themselves to meet their sister's needs. The Holy Spirit was the way that they did this. And Summit, it's the same way that we'll do this today. The only way that we can do this is through the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's all kinds of different words that you can use to describe a church that's spirit-filled, right? There's all kinds of different words that you can use to describe a church that's spirit-filled. But the number one word at the top of the list is love. The number one word that should describe, will describe a truly spirit-filled church is love. That's exactly why in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, that's the biggest passage in the Bible about spiritual gifts. And right in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts, Paul puts 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter about love. Listen, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't in the Bible because God thought we needed to read something at weddings. 
wait a second, Paul, I know you're talking about some of spiritual gifts, but they need something for weddings. And God just dropped 1 Corinthians 13. No, look at what he says here. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, hello? Isn't that what they did? If I sell my house and I give away all my property so that everybody can eat and so that all this, if I meet all the needs, if I give away all I have, deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Here's this and we're done. Hang on, hang on. One of the things that we have said every week of this series is that we believe that every single gift and everything that the Spirit of God has available in the book of Acts is still available to the church today. Amen? We've said that in this series. That every gift, everything on display in the book of Acts is available to the church today. We've said that. We believe that. Listen, we need to ask, but do we really believe that the greatest gift is still available today? Do we really believe that the greatest gift is available today so that the Holy Spirit can come on a group of people in such a way that they don't have anything in common, they're different people from different races and backgrounds, but the thing that they have in common is Jesus, and Jesus has given them such a love for one another that they become devoted to each other. And even when they disagree, they try to forgive. Even when there's an argument, they try to work it out. Because these people are not natural people. They are supernaturally filled with the Spirit of God. Do we really believe that the Holy Spirit can do what He did in the book of Acts and give these people supernatural love? Because listen, if He did it then, He can do it right now. If he did it then, he can do it right now. And I am telling you, the world is desperate for this kind of love, isn't it? Our community, just look at our community, past two or three weeks. And it just seems like there's so much division in our community and so much hurt in our community. And people are saying, what's going to happen and, and how can we heal all of this? I am telling you right now, if the church of Jesus Christ would love one another the way the Spirit of God is calling us to, this community would be so drawn to God that there are not enough churches in this county that are built to hold all of the people who will come because love is the proof that we are His disciples. Amen? And... See, now you're clapping. Now you're clapping. And so my question at the end is, why not us and why not right now? Oh, well, Mark, we can't do this because of them, and we can't do this because of so-and-so in this church, and, and we can't do this. No. No. That, that don't play. That doesn't work. Here's why that doesn't work. Because I can't control them, but I can make my decisions. And I can make the decision to say, God, it starts with me today. God, here's my pride. God, God here's my bitterness. God, here's my anger. God, God, just like we were, the band was praying backstage and we were talking about being a living sacrifice and making the choice every day to put ourselves on the altar. Jesus, it starts with me today, right now. So summit, why not us? And why not here? For the sake and the glory of Jesus in this community and world. Would you pray with me today? And just with every head bowed and, and every eye closed, 
I just want to challenge you today. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, if God is speaking to you today, and something in this message is rung true in your heart, then that is not me. That's not this sermon. That is the Holy Spirit at work speaking to you today. And so maybe today just you can make that simple prayer. God, let it start with me today. Let God, fill me with that kind of love, God. And, and whatever is in the way, just deal with us about it. God, deal with us about pride. Deal with us about bitterness. Deal with us about anger. God, so many people have been, have been hurt by the church when the church is supposed to be a life-giving community. And so many people have walked away and given up on this idea that it's your idea and we've given up so many times on it. But Jesus, you've never given up on it. And so God, right now, would you just let it start with me, with us, and that we would see the book of Acts in our own world today. The story is still moving. The Spirit is still at work. We're still called to this kind of love, but God, we cannot do it on our own. We need you. So God, let it start with me here today. If that's your prayer today, just with every single head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer, just simply say, God, let that start with me today. If that's you, just put your hand in the air right now. God, let it start with me. Just put your hand up. Hands are going up all over this auditorium. God, let it start with me today. Let it start with me today. God, let it start with us. But maybe you're here today saying, Mark, I would love to let it start with me, but, but I'm so bitter. I'm so hurt. The things that have been said, things that have happened, I feel betrayed by people. Maybe not in this church, but in the church. Hurt by people, maybe not in this church, but in the church. I want it to start with me, but, but there are things in me that are in the way. And so I'm asking God to begin to do a work in those areas. If that's you, would you just put your hand up? Say, I want it to start with me, but there's some things in the way. Hands are going up right now. Anybody else? Just put your hand up. Say, I, God, I need you to do a deep work. I need real transformation today. Father, right now, just in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, I pray that that you would begin to do a deep work inside of our hearts, God. And we know that, that we know that it's not just for this moment and then when this service ends in, a, in just a few minutes we're, we're done and the work is complete. No, 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 no. God, it's deeper than that. And so, God, would you start something here today? Would you start something that refuses to stop? God, that we would be transformed people, transformed out of bitterness and love and re, out of bitterness and anger and resentment into love, patience, forgiveness. But maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus because, listen, guys, that's where it starts. If you give your life to Jesus today, He'll forgive you for all your sins. You get a brand new identity. You will be a son or a daughter of God, and no one can take that from you. The price has been paid, but you need to come to Him. And today, if you need to give your life to Jesus, I just invite you to pray this prayer. And this prayer, it's not magic words. This prayer... Just simply reflects your heart, a heart that says, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to live for you starting right now for the rest of my life. I want to follow you. If that's your heart, if that's your desire, today you want to give your life to Jesus. I just invite you to pray a prayer with me today right there where you're at. Say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me today. I give my life to you for the very first time. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. 
coming back from the dead for me. Help me to live for you starting right now. In Jesus' name. And just with every head bowed, with every